0: One of the things that uh, uh, I get to do as I am uh, running from third base toward home, I have two months left. It's hard to believe. And then I retire. I'm looking forward to it. It would be a lot easier if I was angry at you all. But I'm not. That's what makes it bittersweet. But I'm determined that uh, I'm going to, uh, and I ask the The senior pastor, if I could do this. And he said, okay. But to use some of my favorite scriptures in the Sundays that uh, I have remaining. And today is no exception. And so uh, when I say I have a favorite scripture to those who are here for the first time, Every time I share a scripture, it's my favorite. (laughs) They're all favorites. But one is from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. And this is where the Apostle Paul talks about the marvelous grace of God. As United Methodist disciples of Jesus, we believe in the grace of God. And we believe that grace is applied before any works... Before any righteousness. And this passage talks about that. It goes like this But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Him. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Say all that with one breath. And verse 8 is one that I would encourage everyone to memorize. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God. Not because of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if we follow the progression of the Apostle Paul, it's while we were dead, it's God's grace that raises us up and shows us the marvels of God's creation and saves us by powerful grace And when we say thank you, that's when we utilize the gifts and graces that God has given to us. I could talk on that one till 4 o'clock this afternoon, but I won't. That's one of my favorites. Now, the other favorite is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now, Luke chapter 15 is a chapter that has three stories in it that Jesus tells. We'll only review one of them. But it's it's a time when the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around Jesus because they wanted to listen to him. But there were some Pharisees and scribes in the crowd who were grumbling and saying, This man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. And then Jesus told them this story. I invite you to stand for the gospel lesson from Luke chapter 15. I believe it starts in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them came to his father and said, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And so the father divided his property amongst his two sons. A few days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that land, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to one of the landowners who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, now how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go back to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired hands. So he gets up and he goes back to his father. But while he was still at a distance, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion and he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him and then the son said father I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son and the father shouted to the slave Quick, bring a robe, the very best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. And go and kill the fatted calf. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And is found. And so they began to eat and celebrate. Now the elder son was out in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called to one of the slaves and said, what is going on here? And the slave answered, your brother has come back and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. And the older son got angry and he refused to go in. The father came out and pleaded with him. But the son said, no, you listen to me. All these years I've been working like a slave for you and never once have I disobeyed your command. And yet you haven't ever given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property and with prostitutes, yeah, that's in there, You kill the fattened calf for him. And the father says, son, son. We had to celebrate. All that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead. And he's come to life. He was lost. He's been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I say that I'm proud to be a United Methodist disciple of Jesus, I think of these two passages. Because they're all about grace All about reconciliation and restoration. And that's what the church is all about. Now, there's other churches that do this. But rest assured, the United Methodist Church is one that I have served in for 47 years and have been so very proud to be a part of the grace that we offer. Now, we're not perfect, but we Believe. There are some in our day that say, well, the United Methodist Church has lost its way. Well, there may be a few places that have lost their way, but we haven't. And I'm quite proud to declare that Aldersgate is one of the healthiest congregations in the Great Plains Annual Conference, which comprises of Kansas and Nebraska. Why do I say that? Because... We believe in God. We believe in God as the one living and true God who is eternal, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, the maker and the preserver of all things. We believe in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. We believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Don't you believe it if someone says, oh, they don't believe in the virgin birth no more? Yes, we do. We have and we always will believe in the virgin birth. And we also believe in the suffering and the death of Jesus as, who bore our sins on the cross. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And he rose from the dead. We believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. Don't you believe? Anyone that says, oh, those United Methodists, they don't believe in that stuff anymore. Wrong! We do. We believe in the resurrection, that Jesus physically rose from the dead. He walked the earth, and he ascended into heaven. That's why we have that glass there. And he will come again, which is also why we have that glass there, to set up his kingdom on earth. We believe in the Holy Spirit. That spirit which is here with us today, God with us, Emmanuel, who leads us into truth about these things and who transforms us by God's word. We believe in that and guides us. We believe in the Bible. Some will say, oh, those United Methodists don't believe in the Bible. Yes, we do. We believe in the Bible as the inspired word of God and is the primary source for Christian doctrine. It contains everything we need for salvation and is a living testimony to uh, the, the way in which God has moved through the foibles and the faults of humanity and brings about God's grace. We believe that. And we believe in the church. And we believe in the power of the church and the mission of the church, which is summed up in the two greatest commandments, to love God and love one another. And as we talked about at the children's time, to be kind to one another. Wow. Now, the church is a human institution. It's not perfect. Why? Because it's made up of people. It's got people like me in it. People like you in it. One of my favorite illustrations of this is of the, uh, the bus driver. And it's not less. (coughs) <coughs> the bus driver who drove a transit bus, and he had lots of bus stops, and he'd pick up people in the city, and he'd make his, his rounds. But uh, the, 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 the more he, he drove, the longer it took. And he started being a little bit late because of people taking their time to get on the bus. And uh, people would get angry at later bus stops, said, hey, what took you so long? And the bus driver decided, well, he, he got a plan. And so what he did was he eliminated a couple of bus stops. And sure enough, he was able to go throughout his route and make it to all the stops and pick up all the people and get home to the garage in time. Wow, life was good. But you know, people figured it out. And they started congregating at the available bus stops. And so uh, it took longer and longer in each bus stop, and pretty soon the, the, the driver was late again on his route. He was afraid he was going to get disciplined for all of this. And so he decided, I will eliminate a couple more bus stops. Surely that will take care of it. So he eliminated a couple more bus stops. And, the, you know, sure enough, the first day, he started sailing around, stopped at all of the stops that were left, and he made his route on time, got back to the garage before quitting time. But the people figured it out once again, and they congregated at the remaining bus stops and, uh, until there were so many who were getting on the bus that once again, he was late. And that bus driver decided, well, I can fix this, and he eliminated all the bus stops. And to this day, he sails around his route on time, never late, with an empty bus full of seats if it weren't for people he would have made his route on time but it's the people that are the reason for buses the church is the same the church is made up of people We've got tall ones, we've got short ones, we've got big ones, we got little ones, we got ornery ones, we got nice ones, we've got scoundrels, we got... I'm not going to go down the list. But the church is made up of all kinds of people. And if it weren't for the people, we wouldn't be a church. And one of the things I enjoyed about COVID, if there's anything to enjoy, is that we learned again that the church is not a building, it is not a steeple, it is... You and it is me. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. There is uh, an affirmation of faith that uh, uh, I've had through the years, and I haven't used it too much, but I, I thought I'd foist it on you today. And uh, it- it's an affirmation of faith about the church. And I invite you to read it with me. We'll put it up on the screen and, um, so that if you want to, you can read it with me. If you don't want to, you don't have to. If you come to a, something you don't agree with, you don't have to say it. It's okay. But it talks about the church that is a part of who God is in our world in spite of its imperfections. Let's say it together. I believe in the church in spite of its imperfections. The church will never be perfect in this world. It is made up of people struggling to do God's will, but people who are still human with their weaknesses and sin. I believe in the church in spite of its limitations and handicaps. Sometimes the church is hindered by lack of vision and commitment. But in spite of all of this, the church is a wonderful place where people can gather to worship God. I believe in the church because it is an agency of God's spirit, an instrument of the eternal. It has changed through the years and will continue to change. It will make mistakes but the church is still God's chosen vessel for carrying on the work of redemption in the world. Yeah. And we are among those who, like the Father in this parable, run after our sons and daughters even though they squander the things that we've given them, and that even though they live differently than we do, we run toward them and embrace them and kiss them because of who they are. And even the angry sons and daughters who scream and yell at us, we go to them and we seek to be people of peace. And reconciliation. February 29th, 1976. <laughs> I remember that day because it was February 29th. And I said, I'll always remember this day. It was my first Sunday in my first church. And it happened at Summit United Methodist Church. But a tornado had gone through the uh, area southeast of Peabody, Kansas. It fortunately didn't destroy any homes, but it picked up the church building, which was a one-room, country, white frame church with a steeple, you can kind of picture that, and picked it up and set it about a foot off of the foundation. And so it was too dangerous to meet there. And so we met at the schoolhouse about a mile down the road. And so my first Sunday in my first church was at that little two-room schoolhouse. I had a drop-leaf kitchen table for my pulpit. And the offering plate, the, the offering plates, they left them in the church, I guess, but the offering plate was one of these paper chinette plates that one of the children had drawn a happy face in. <laughs> it was great. And the, the, the pianist, oh, Maudie Gaines, bless her soul, she came that morning and she saw that I was nervous and she said, oh, don't worry, it'll all be okay, just don't make me play too many sharps. And we had church with a drop-leaf kitchen table as a pulpit and about 15 people. And I remember how proud I was to serve Jesus. I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at Friends University. Some would say I was still wet behind the ears. But I was humbled that the United Methodists had determined Yeah, I did have a call, and that they trusted me with this little congregation. I'll never forget the Reverend Dr. Oren McClure, who was the district superintendent at the time. He had taken me out to meet with the folks, and when he left, he put on his top hat, got in his car, and he said, dig or die, Brother Brooks, dig or die. I still remember those words. Summit United Methodist Church. Those folks taught me a lot of life lessons. There was Summit. There was Miltonville, Mount Liberty, Lamar, Lindsborg, Lyons, Independence, Great Bend, District Superintendent, Aldersgate, a privilege to serve. Yes, there's been many challenges. Did you know that at the Lamar United Methodist Church, it was a little frame church, didn't have a lick of paint on it because it hadn't been painted for years, with a steeple, And there was a honeybee hive over the front door. And I got there my first Sunday in that church, and I did not want to go in because I am deathly afraid of honeybees. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. If you're not afraid of them, they won't bother you. Well, I was afraid of them. Well, finally, I got up the courage, and I, I, I went inside. I could reminisce about a lot of stories. But there were many challenges. In the first three churches I was in, there were five beehives. I finally bought me a bee suit. (laughs) I finally bought me a bee suit, and I had that for many years. And then there were church members There have been church members in several churches that have campaigned to get rid of the pastor. There's always challenges. Why? Because the church is full of people, but nothing compares to experiencing a young child. Pleading to be baptized. We got two young children that are going to be baptized next Sunday. They didn't want to wait until confirmation. They love Jesus. And they want to make their commitment known to an elderly man. I remember an elderly man who came in one day with his hat. He was spinning his hat. And he was all worried that he hadn't had Jesus in his heart. He hadn't been baptized. The next day, we got him wet, and he came up beaming because he finally let Jesus in and let it happen. And then there was the teenager who felt the call of God to preach the gospel, and she's still at it, by the way, in one of our United Methodist churches. You know, we are a denomination of churches with warm hearts and active hands where lives are transformed, even though... We're not perfect, and we make mistakes. It's been a privilege to serve. It has. It has. They say a pastor only has one sermon. And each Sunday reflects a repeated theme or another section. But if I have one sermon, it would be this. That today you will know that you know that you know that you have the peace of God in your heart and that tonight as you lay your head down on your pillow you can know that you are God's child and that tomorrow you can know for sure that you have a home in heaven prepared just for you after 47 years it's time to retire You have a wonderful pastor coming. In fact, uh, I want to let you know that Pastor Mitch Reese is going to be here uh, on on campus uh, tomorrow afternoon to meet with the clergy in our staff meeting. And then he'll meet with the staff uh, team on Tuesday morning for our regular meeting. And then his wife, Nancy, is going to join us for lunch as we take Cynthia out for her birthday and as we get acquainted. And so uh, we're starting that transition. But there's a thing called uh, clergy etiquette, professional ethics, as it were, when a transition takes place. And I'd like to review that with you, and I'll review that again with you, but it's not too hard. But it's simply this. After June 30, I will no longer be your pastor at Aldersgate. Well, that's bittersweet, I will still be your friend if you'll still be mine. It would be a lot easier to leave if I was angry at all of you. But I'm not. No longer being your pastor means I will not be preaching. I will not be doing funerals. I will not be doing weddings. And I will no longer do clergy functions Why? Because you have a fully gifted and qualified pastor in Mitch Reese, and you will continue to have Pastor Daniel Refner and Maria Penrod. I think that's as close to a dream team as any church could pray for. The church staff will discontinue my Aldersgate email. They will no longer forward calls, take messages, or pass along invitations. Any agreements that I have made with clergy, members, friends, or church mice will no longer be valid. And I will learn how to spell a word I haven't been able to spell, and some of you probably need to learn how to spell. N-O. If your calendar is too full and you can't meet yourself coming and going... That might be a word that would be good for you. Will I talk to you? Of course I will, because I'm nice at least half the time. But I I won't talk about Aldersgate Church or about the pastors and the staff. I've had a blast here at Aldersgate. It's been quite a ride. And I will be forever grateful and thankful for a church that has exemplified everything from the hand wave of kindness to the reaching out to those who are hurting with an embrace of love and hope. We're still learning, and you will continue to learn and grow, and you will continue to, to enjoy learning what it's like to welcome the stranger, to embrace the different And to know that we are all together as one. And that our greatest strength is our diversity found in the grace of God. Uh, That's about all I have to say about that right now. Uh, I, I didn't finish half of what I got written up here. But I'll do that another Sunday. Just wait till the last Sunday. Oh, by the way, um, there have been some that have uh, invited my wife and I, Jeannie and I, out to lunch to say thank you and, and, for a retirement lunch. Um, please, you don't need to do that because I, I don't want to weigh 500 pounds when I leave. And you're all throwing a nice hog-wild catered meal on June the 25th, so you are inviting me out for lunch. And so uh, just knowing that you're here and that you're partners in this great ministry is what will thrill me the most. Amen.